0: The Talking Stigma podcast feature Garrett Thomas and me, Craig Doyle, talking to other well-known guests about stigma and how we can make stigma a thing of the past through knowledge and education. Listen to Gareth talking about his HIV positive diagnosis, how people have treated him, how he has felt since he announced his status back in September 2019, and how through scientific advances, being on effective treatment means the levels of HIV are so low in his system that the virus cannot be passed on through sexual contact. The intimate discussions draw on personal insights of Gareth and other special guests, comparing and contrasting their experiences of stigma.
1: So guys, for this conversation around tackling HIV, um, I'm firstly honoured to be joined by my dear friend and somebody I love and cherish um, as a big part of my life, Ian Green, CEO of Terrence Higgins Trust. And you've come to hear your story basically, so we'll hand it over to you to start. Yeah, so um, I think start off
2: with when I first diagnosed, which was six years ago, um, it was just two weeks after my 21st birthday, um, I was sexually assaulted, um, I was quite unwell after the assault um, for a couple of days and then I went for a sexual health screening um, and I got a call from the hospital just literally about a day after the screening, asking me to come into the hospital um, and I was on my way into work and I was like, oh, I, I can't come today. And they said, you need to come in today. Um, as I went into the hospital and I sat down with the nurse, they told me that um, I was HIV positive on the test. And they wanted to do a finger prick test there and then just to double check, um, they'd done that. And she was like, it can take 15 minutes. And it wasn't even like three minutes. Mm-hmm. Like she instantly said, y- you've got HIV. Um, and it was pretty much, <clears throat> Straight after that, I was just left to to leave, really, um, the hospital, um, not knowing anything about it, not knowing anything about what was coming in my life, really. Um, and then I had to go into work that day, and while I was in work, um, the, the, my team were like, you don't, you don't look well, you look really ill, like what's the matter? And I was just like, I don't know. And I couldn't think, I was just complete mind block. Um, I was like numb. Yeah. Um, and that's when I, I told my GM at the hotel at the time and she just said, I have no idea what to say. I don't know anything about it. And she was like, just go home, go, go and be with your, your family. Um, I went home and took back to my flat and when my door closed, I just sat there for hours crying because yeah. in my mind, I was dying. Um, my life was ended, really. That, that's what I thought, because I knew nothing about HIV. I knew nothing at all. Um, and then moved to Manchester. I just wanted to get away. I didn't want people who I knew knowing. I didn't want anybody to find out. And I thought the easiest way to, to combat that was to move away and start afresh where nobody would know me and be able to judge me for what I had, basically. Um, so yes, I think that's where my life sort of changed a little bit because I, s- I battled with it in my head to to come to terms with the fact that I was living with HIV. I still at this point didn't know anything about it um, and the coping mechanism was just go out and party and that was my life for seven days a week. Go to work, go home from work, party and it was just a vicious cycle constantly. Um, and then it came to really meet and Will. That's where my life took a, a turn, really, the, for the better in a in a sense. Also, I thought um, that we were set up on a blind date, weren't we? Yeah. And um, it was like a new challenge, really, like if a new beginning. I didn't have to worry. And, and Will's from a, a really rough. When I say rough. It's not a rough area. I
0: say. <laughs> I say it's a rough area because It sounds really what bad because
2: Yeah. <laughs> I say it's rough area, it's not that much of a rough area really, but he's like a lad's background and Will had only recently come out gay and for me he was like a lad's lad, like he was always dressed in trackies and and stuff and I was the polar opposite. Um, And I was just so scared of telling Will about the HIV and I'd build it up to tell him um, of how Of what what I was living with and I'd I'd create scenarios and I'd say to him oh if I lost my leg would you still date me and he'd be like yeah we'll just get me a wheelchair and then I'd be like go to tell him I've got HIV but the words just would not come Mm. out it just just wouldn't come out at all and and that went on for uh, what 12 months really I think it was that it was 12 months that he didn't know and at that point of him moving in halfway through those 12 months was I stopped my medication, I stopped going to the hospital. I I couldn't risk him finding medication in the house and asking what the medication was for and um so then I had the battle of my housemate moving out and he knew about my diagnosis and he knew Will didn't know and we'd fallen out and I was so scared that he'd take control of telling Will about my my status before I could take control of it. Um and then that's where it, it just sort of bubbled then and it just got too much and It got to the point where um, I went out for a meal and drinks with a friend to the theatre and I ended up telling her. Um, It was the same friend that set us up on the blind date and she didn't know and we had a really good chat and we both cried and we went to the theatre and she thought everything was all fine and the whole way through the the production I just sat and cried because we decided that we were going to tell Will the next day together. Um, And that night I uh, I went home and I was that scared that I took an overdose. Um and I think I was just more scared of the reaction from Will and the worry that he wasn't gonna be there to support me. Um and that's when I, I texted you, wasn't it, and, mm-hmm. and just said, you know, don't come home. Um I'd written my parents a letter, I'd written Will a letter with my friends and said, Don't come home, just phone the police. And
3: that's next thing is Yeah I just First thing I did was just run, like run home. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember now, like my friend says, she was just running down the middle of the street. Like, I've got to get home. And then she picked me up and we got there and yeah, he was unconscious at the table. And Then it was just like a mind blown kind of situation. Like he was like, why is this happening? Like, What's so bad in life that that we've got to this point? and it wasn't until we were at the hospital, was it? That yeah, I came exactly. and It was only after being sat at the hospital, making sure he was okay first. And then you he, he basically, I was thinking, oh, he's cheated on me. It's fine. Like, we, you know, we can work through it. We can do anything. And he was like, no, like, you don't understand. You don't understand. And then he told me and he said, you know, I've got HIV. And I was like, okay, I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything and I wanted to speak to people, but then I was like, trying to explain like, AJ's took an overdose. And they'd ask me why, and straight away, I'd just be like, this wall of silence, and um, I don't know, don't really know anything, don't know too much at the minute, so I'll just start happening, I'll ring you back. And then everyone's like, I hope everything's okay. Like, do you know why? And it's like, uh, I think- You just didn't know how to- to took a while, hasn't it, for me to, I don't don't have any myself have any problem you know it's not it wasn't my problem it was everybody else I I Mm. was thinking you didn't want to do you didn't didn't want want to break my trust trust, by disclosing it I think wasn't it I didn't want to I didn't feel like it was my place to say anything either like I still don't think it it is but I think doing more the more we talk about it the easier it is for me to kind of
2: open up a little bit open,
3: more. open up because i'm a very close person anyway i always, like that's why i didn't come out until i was in my 20s because i like to keep me to me and then yeah. I, don't, I don't have to share mm. that because if you don't share things then you're not you don't feel as vulnerable but, yeah. but if you let your mind do its own thing then you're more
0: vulnerable than if you would just talk about it yeah. i mm. think aj i'm really struck and thank you for sharing your story very very powerful and I know that how hard it must be just to relive some of that pain. Yeah. I think the, the thing that really struck me the most is just how alone you were. And that was just yeah. one of the things that really gets me in my, my heart. Uh, yeah,
1: that, I think that and loneliness yeah. and rejection yeah. Yeah. is the automatic feeling straight away yeah. is that everyone is gonna, is gonna reject. Yeah, that's the biggest fear. Did you have, so did you have in the process of your suicide attempt, did you have rejections along the way connected to HIV?
2: Yeah, so I think when I first moved to Manchester, um, obviously you, you're on dating apps and things and I'd, I'd disclose it because I wanted to be open and honest and I wanted, I didn't want that, I do not want to be secretive about it if I was going to be meeting up with somebody, do you know what I mean? And people, especially in, I find in the gay community, they are very judgmental, and you'd get like instant blocks or you'd get abuse. You'd, you'd, people would say that you're sleeping around, and that's what they wouldn't want would, to they didn't want that. So, for me, for like the couple of years before I met Will, there was so much rejection mm-hmm. through the gay community of trying to find someone to be with, really. Um, but then also in the workplace, I worked in hospitality, and you'd working in a restaurant as a restaurant manager, you'd try food and different things like you'd you, with the chefs and it'd be like one knife and fork and I'd always get my own knife and fork to try the food and then they'd be like, I've not got AIDS. Mm-hmm. And that for me, I, it, it just, every time that, and it gets branded around so much mm-hmm. that it, I just, it, I die a little bit inside thinking, oh my God, they're, they're, they're going to find out about me and that'll be the end of it. So very quickly when I started to feel like that, I'd leave my job and I'd go and find another job because that was said, and it's said about three or four times in my career in different places, and I just left because I was so scared that if people think like that in, in the workplace, then what are they are gonna think about me if they find out that I'm going yeah. through that? Mm. Um, and,
3: you, know, like you saying that now, and I think back, and I think these things probably I said, like, I, I'd look at your CV and go, oh my God, how many jobs do you want? Like, you you could write write a book out of your CV and Mm. I never knew that was the reason why you was jumping job to job, it was like.
2: And I was very, I had very good jobs. So I I had management positions and companies wanted to keep hold of me, but I was just so scared of people finding out and customers finding out and different things like that. And I was like, I was ashamed and I was embarrassed. I find that it's hard. And now we're at this point where I've put it out there all my friends and family it's on my social media and i'm now taking control of the situation and I'm, i i want to help people who are in my position not to be scared and embarrassed. so what, what
1: did you do to take control
2: so we during lockdown i uh i typed up my feelings um i spent time just sort of getting it all out because we'd not really take any time after the overdose to discuss
3: it really that much mm. i think in a way we wanted to you kind of you want things to go back to normal but it's n- there is no normal yeah. it's, it's a new normal it's a new, <laughs> new you've got you've got new stuff to deal with That's in a, within a relationship you yeah. can't you know you can't just say let's just pretend
2: it never yeah. happened yeah. Um, so um i wrote about it and then we decided that we were i was going to sort of turn it into a blog and i wrote about it i wrote a, a four page story from start to finish from me finding out to um, the the overdose and where we were that day really and um, and published it on my Facebook and on my Instagram um, turned my phone off after doing that and I was like I don't want to see the comments until tomorrow and I think we just got a bottle of wine didn't we and just got drunk that night <laughs> just
0: say one but yeah what, what was it like pressing that button I
3: hesitated, you, didn't you, I? I was just you, like, do it, do it, and I I think I remember saying, if you're not ready, don't do it. It's your choice, yeah. like, and you went boom. Done. Shuttle that talk. done.
2: And it was done, and it was out there. And do what, the next morning... You slept the
3: best you've ever slept. You yeah, really? I had yeah. such a good night's sleep.
2: I didn't worry about what I was gonna yeah. wake up to the next morning. Yeah. I, just real, I just put it out there, and I didn't have to worry about what... I didn't have that secret hanging over me anymore, and... The next one I woke up, the amount of positivity, messages, comments, like there was there was just hundreds of inboxes, and it took me like three days to get back to every single person, and I replied to every single person just to thank them for yeah. the comments because it did, it really meant a lot to
0: me. Yeah, yeah of course it did. Mm. I'm reminded about you, Tenby and when you did oh. Ironman last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, and, and when you were going to do your, uh, your post, and I remember getting a, a message from Gareth, just that he'd sent these um, message, say so it's yeah. out there now.
1: Yeah, but I, I was, I, so I was petrified. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I don't know, I don't know why it is, but we always, I, do we fear the worst because we think anything better is a bonus. Yeah. And that's what I feared. I thought, yeah. I, I thought there's only one thing that can happen here is I can be rejected. But at least I still got Steve. Yeah. yeah. At least I still got my family, and anything else is going to be a bonus, but I, I, I'm interested because I'm not sure right that night if I really took Steve's feelings into consideration. I think I used the word lightly, but I became quite selfish in that, okay, I hope, I hope I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Like, what did, you know when you said you slept well, I, what did you sleep like?
3: See, I kept checking. I was checking the comments because <laughs> I don't know it, as much. I just want to protect him, but then... Yeah. I don't want him to feel like he's—it's any different, but you know, to a not no, like just a, any yeah. anyone else's relationship. You wouldn't, you know, you're naturally protective anyway, aren't you? I think to, to that's to it. I mean, person, but it was it's kind of like an added layer, and I didn't want him to see any negative comments because yeah. I didn't want it to knock his confidence. But then I seen the positivity, and I thought, if there's one comment negative, I'm just going to say, look at the two hundred, three hundred other ones, yeah. and. That's I think it, yeah. i was trying to preempt what was going to happen so that i could be there to kind of make you re- like reassure you make sure yeah. you knew that but it's funny you thing. saying
2: that you didn't think of your partner's feelings or how they'd because i didn't really think about you and it was going to impact will because his family were going to all find out about it his colleagues yeah. his friends because i had them all on my social yeah. media so but at the time it was more so i needed to take control of. Yeah the situation, and there was people that knew stuff about me that I wanted to be able to be the person to share that, and I didn't want yeah. someone taking that away from me, which is why I found it so hard telling Will, yeah. and then putting that story out there was, it was just a relief to then go to bed that night and be like, it's done.
1: Like, did you find life changed? Or did you find, wake up and think, actually, weirdly, it's kinda of still the same, I just don't have a secret anymore?
2: It was, yeah, I was just like, I just woke up, and I was just like, I just not got this, niggling thing in the back of my mind that's there, like, constantly of, you know, you've got, you, you've got something that people know, may know about you or may not know about you, like, yeah. I just woke up the next morning, I was like, I'm, I've got a normal day, Yeah, like, it's normal, yeah.
0: Just wondering how that relates to your experience and your story. Um,
1: yeah, I think there's so many similarities, yet I suppose we could speak to hundreds of people who've gone through the same thing, But there's something unique in your own, in your own story. Like when, when I think about, um, how fearful I was, um, how much maybe the next day I thought was going to be completely different, but actually the sun still came up and Mm. life still went on, people still went to work. Um, and also that I realized that you challenge something, you start a conversation but that doesn't break down stigma it doesn't break down misunderstanding It's something that you either have to control and take control of and then try and help other people take control um, of of their own life so you just get on you just gotta get on with 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 the rest of your life and I think you know what 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 these guys are doing is is great because you know, we wanting to tackle misunderstanding. We wanting to tackle stigma, and there's places that we, m- or years that we might not be able to get to. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think what you've been through, what you're looking to do, which I commend in anybody, is you go through some terrible times, and you choose not to be selfish and say, right, okay, I've been through my terrible time, so I'm going to chill out now. Mm-hmm. You go through, I've been through my terrible time,
0: and I don't want other people to go through that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So many, I've heard so many similar stories from, from people over many years about the, sort of the fear they feel yeah. uh, about being open and honest about what's happened to them and about their HIV status. And there's something about HIV, because of the, the stigma that's associated with, which is ultimately just a virus, uh, it has such an impact on people and how they view um, how society is going to react. It's that, that sort of it's, it's it's about what people think other people are going to say or view them about. Yeah. How, am, am my family going to still care for me and love me? You know, uh, how how am I going to um, walk around the street without people calling me names or mm. all, all of that? Just something that's so real for people, but actually in reality, it's very very little of that is actually experienced. But that stigma is something that's very real for people, and often it's self stigma. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah. It's yeah, a massive that's a massive part, isn't it? Yeah,
2: that's it. I mean, with yourself like you beat yourself up more than what people actually would. Yeah. I feel, like in my head f- over the years like I was always questioning and double doubting and different things, and I think it comes from because I knew nothing about it. I I knew nothing. And um, when I was diagnosed and I left the hospital, I still didn't know nothing. It wasn't until I moved to Manchester and went to a new clinic that I started to learn that it's a manageable disease.
0: And this is one thing that really makes me mad, you know, that, that people don't know about HIV, mm. you know, and that, you know, thank goodness now there's mandatory relationships and sex education mm. in schools. Um, you know, as you went through the school system, you should have been told yeah. about HIV. Yeah. And one of your great passions is about education. Isn't yeah, it? definitely. And making sure that people know about this, this virus. And, and I
1: think the thing is, is, what you say there is, I don't know anything about HIV yet I thought he was going to kill me. So when we break it all down, we all think we know something about HIV because we all think that HIV is something that's going to kill us. Even though we say we don't know anything about it, we're willing to accept the fact that we know enough to know it's bad, which means actually we don't know what it's like to live with HIV in 2020 because, and I keep saying that, and so many people, and I'm sure Ian comes across people all the time, who feel like they're educated because there was... You know, public warnings put out so many years ago about living with HIV and so much has happened yeah. in, in the last 20 years of science and medicine mm-hmm. that has progressed. So people like us can live happy, normal, yeah. healthy lives with partners and husbands who are HIV negative and don't put them at risk. And to me, that's something we should celebrate yeah. and something that should be common knowledge. Yeah. But everybody's common knowledge is HIV will kill you yeah so
3: in terms of the education of that, like you like you just said then, we've all been at school, sex education, that kind of thing all kind of why why don't we know about yeah. it then when we, why didn't I know if that, if that was mentioned, why is it not sticking? why is yeah. it yeah. not? Why is it not just ingrained in us from that age? And if they have taught, because I don't remember it. I I don't remember in school being told anything about it. It was
2: just basic sex education. It's Mm. girls and boys parts and this is what happens to Mm. create a baby. That was basic stuff, really. We've
0: done a lot of work to make sure as part of the curriculum, Mm. HIV and sexual health is an important part of the new relationships and sex education curriculum because of yet people have a right to know Mm -hmm. because actually, it would would deal with a lot of this this stigma uh, and also the discrimination that people feel around hiv yeah if they had up-to-date information they were educated
1: what about so ian's obviously the head of what is an amazing organization something like terence higgins trust when you was diagnosed did you feel like you you had at the top of your mind somewhere organisation you could go and visit, or people you could go to online, or did you just think that, this is something I have to deal with on my own?
2: I think when I first diagnosed, it was something I had to deal with on my own. It was more so, I was, I, it was more daunting of mm. going to anywhere like that. I feel that if I was seen going through those doors, people would, would know, and I was like, I needed to control it and minimise the amount of people that knew what, I was going through, um, which again, I moved out. I, there was nurses in Liverpool that knew, and there for me, always, and there was a couple of people in the hotel that I worked in that knew. For me, that was more than enough people mm. that needed to know, and that's why I moved to Manchester. And I, f- I feel that if people know about these charities and organisations that will support you, and you know, it, this, I, f- I just feel that the stigma of being seen going into, through those doors. Sure. Do you know what I mean, walking off the street and then what if you walk back out those doors and who sees you walking out those yeah. doors on the street? Yeah. It's people's ignorance of like the, the, you're scared of what people would think if they saw you. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Do you does that make sense? Like it does
0: completely. And I think that that's about us making sure that we're pr- making sure that our, our services are accessible, so you don't have to walk through a door, yeah. and so you can go online. And there's a an online peer support group for anybody who's diagnosed with HIV, or you can just go on the website, and there's really good, easy to understand information available to people. Because
2: we went, didn't we, to um,
0: George? George, George George House yeah. Trust? So
2: when um, when I came out of hospital, after, yeah, it? we it was when you were um, we went to the clinic, didn't we? And we were. The, Will had a chat with the nurses about um, my HIV, basically, and to talk Will through the steps and to make reassure him that he wasn't at yeah. risk, basically. Um, and they put us in touch with with them, and we went for a visit, didn't we? We went
3: for a visit. It, it just wasn't for us at that time, was yeah. it? it? I think there was a lot more going on because yeah. you had to add in the suicide part yeah. of it as well, and then it, yeah. it was a lot... And it just didn't, it just didn't work at that time. Whether yeah. it would have further down the like line. If it, it had you know, been
2: not for the suicide, I think it would have been yeah. the perfect place for me yeah. to take will to and be like, look, listen to what these guys have got to say. Yeah. You know, this is something that I'm living with, and we can live a normal life, sort of thing. And I think had I gone about it that way, it would have, it would have made a difference.
1: I don't want to keep, I don't want to go backwards to go forward here, but on the suicide attempt. Um, do you feel the suicide attempt was more of, a, more of a cry for help or more of a way of getting to a position where you feel you have to now tell somebody?
2: When I think back on that night, it's very hard for me to try and understand my feelings. I was very, I had very mixed emotions that evening and it could have been a cry for help and it could have been me trying to say, I'm struggling. Mm. I think it was probably more the fact that I was struggling. Um, I think that when it comes to it, I think it was,
1: it was probably a, a cry for help.
3: Yeah,
1: there's nothing wrong with that, man. Yeah. you did like feel like you're saying something wrong. Here. Yeah,
3: was yeah. it more like it kind of there's no other way out? That you know, was like, it. Like, this is you've and got I did like, to. F- like D-Day tomorrow. I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got to do it tomorrow, yeah. or I can not do it tomorrow. So
1: I just find it interesting, again, with a lot of people, and, and Ian will know this way more than me, is a lot of people have to put themselves to a position of rock bottom yeah. to feel like there's now only one mm, way out. Yeah. Even if you get halfway down, yeah. it's you, you've got to get all the way to the bottom with HIV yeah. to, to find our way out. Yeah. And we're trying to stop people feeling yeah. like they've got to get to the bottom before
3: yeah. they can finally yeah, get out. So I'm I think that really if there's anything I could have done to kind of put that net in place to stop you getting there. Yeah. And but this is know.
2: why now we're wanting to share our experience yeah. because I don't want people to get to the point that I got because there was no reason for me to get to yeah. that point at the end of the day. It was, we're still here, we're still together, you know. Yeah. We, there was, there was there's no actual reason for me to get to that point. It was just all up here. Yeah. And it was me criticising and worrying about stigma and worrying that world wasn't going to be there.
0: So, Thinking about the experiences you've been through over the last uh, couple of years and the very powerful story you have, what what do you think needs to be done to educate people about HIV? Uh, What do you think needs to happen in terms of making sure that we can tackle the stigma associated with the virus from both of your experiences? I think
2: we've discussed, obviously, we want to get involved with charities and organisations to share our story and us doing this and sharing our story with you that's going to be going on social media, that will be then shared on our social medias for friends and family. And we want them to try and encourage them to share our story with their friends and their family and to just let that flow between social media. And I think social media is going to be a big key in tackling the stigma because it's more people that listen to people like us Can and talk about that, that have been through Been through it and talk about it. I feel that will help end the stigma of the virus. Really,
0: Gareth, tackle HIV. So your idea of of this campaign. What's your sort of what's your vision for tackle HIV? Um,
1: Just to not have any more stories like this. Not have any because ultimately, whether you're in denial about living with HIV yourself it's mainly because of what you feel the reaction is going to be from other people. And when you start lying, you don't just live with a lie, you live in fear of other people knowing you're lying. You live in fear of other people taking control of your life. So through TackleHIV and TackleHIV.org, what we want to create is is safe places for people to have safe conversations and to get correct information. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you give people knowledge, then you give people power to yeah. make consciously the right decisions and listen we all know around this table that not everybody with all the right information is going to be supportive but the majority of people given the right information will be supportive yeah. and i work on a majority yeah. rules so to tackle hiv we just want to create correct positive information where we don't hear stories of people reaching the bottom and sometimes staying at the bottom, sadly.
3: It's giving everyone the knowledge, though, that, you know, d- you know like, cause, like I said, I didn't know anything, and I would, if I hadn't met you, I'd know nothing now, and I could j- be just as ignorant. I could have been one of them people on that dating app yeah. who, yeah. F- yeah. oh, not messaging
1: back. And right, I think it's really important as well, right, is that we understand is that the knowledge of HIV is not just important to people infected or affected, yeah. it's everybody, because as a society, We all create spaces, whether it be in a hotel, you know, Mm -hmm. where somebody is not educated so they don't want to share the knife and fork or a door handle, or whether it be having a sexual partner, everybody has a part to play in safe environments for everybody, and that includes everybody living with HIV as well.
0: HIV is nothing to be feared. Mm. I mean, it has a massive impact sometimes, but it's nothing to be feared, and you can have a normal life expectancy and really importantly, because of the treatment you're on, you can't pass the virus on to your partner. Yeah. It's impossible. It's made, isn't it? It's magical. It's Magical. magical. One yeah. little
1: tablet. Yeah. One, yeah. tablet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, one tablet. One tablet, one tablet. I, I, I say people, tell people I take one tablet a day and they think this tablet is like this (laughs) huge thing that creates the container. like, no, it's this simple (laughs) tablet. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it does, it means we all sit around you with husbands, partners, family, who we, they know and we know are at no risk. Whereas prior to me having any knowledge or prior to me meeting Ian and having discussions, I thought I could never touch anybody again. Mm You know, let alone have an intimate relationship with a husband who is still HIV negative. You know, like you have a husband or partner that's HIV negative. Yeah. Uh, That was never on my radar, never. I was gonna live
0: alone for the rest of my life.
2: Yeah, very similar, I thought that was it, me. How
0: how liberating that knowledge is, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Completely liberating. Definitely.